Thanks for listening. The following audio is a teaching from Calvary Tucson's Young Adult Ministry, Ignition. For more teachings, information, or if you'd like to support our ministry, please visit us online at ignitiontucson.com. We pray you're blessed by the message. Chapter 11. Now the whole earth had one language and the same words. So this what it wasn't the fact that they all spoke differently, but they could understand. They all had the same exact language. What language was that? I don't know. Maybe Hebrew? I don't know. Who knows, right? Um, And as people migrated from the east, they found a plain in the land of Shinar, and they settled there. And they said to one another, Come, let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. And they had brick for stone and bitumen or, or pitch, asphalt, right, tar, for mortar, the same thing they used on the, on the ark of, the, of, of, of Noah. Then they said, come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its tops in the heavens and let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be, dis- be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. Now, when it says they said, they is Nimrod and his kingdom. Nimrod is leading this nation. <clears throat> Nimrod, the man whose name means let us rebel, is leading this empire And he says, here's how we're going to build our empire. We're going to make strong bricks so we can build strong, so we can build tall. And we're going to cover it in pitch so it's waterproof. I can't help but see some significance in that, that as they sought to rebel against God and build their own empires, it was as though Nimrod was saying, come to me. You don't need a savior born of the seed of woman. Come to me. I will protect you from the wrath of God. I will protect you. Come to my tower. Come to my other buildings made of brick and pitch. They'll be waterproof. God already promised he would not flood the earth again. But again, these are are non-believing, godless people following their own hearts and desires, following a wicked man. And so here they are building these waterproof buildings in rebellion against God. And the Tower of Babel would be the monument of this rebellion, the symbol, the picture of this. We will build it to the heavens to make a name for ourselves and perhaps maybe to be a higher than any floodwaters, potential floodwaters. We don't need a Savior. We don't need God. We are going to deal with God ourselves, with our own ingenuity, right? This is what the kingdoms of the, of the earth say. And it says that the tower would be big and tall like a skyscraper. Why? So that they could make a name for themselves. The motive behind the building of their empire was selfish, was for their own glory, And this was the worst thing they could possibly do for themselves. And so in God's mercy, he put an end to it. Guys, understand, when you live for your own glory, you're living contrary to your own design. And living for your glory will inevitably lead to disappointment, to dissatisfaction, to an unfulfilled life, and to separation from God. You cannot live for your own glory and for the glory of God at the same time. Two different paths, two different directions. In the kingdom of man, Nimrod's kingdom found themselves down the path of living for their own glory. But God has created us for, for His glory. God has created you to worship Him, to do things that bless Him, to do things that serve other people and glorify Him. And I want to tell you that that is where true fulfillment is found. You might not realize it or think that. In fact, you guys, the young adults age, the age that you guys are in right now, 
is an age where you're making a lot of big decisions, aren't you? And a lot of people in your phase of life are being driven by the motivation of personal glory. What career should I have? Who should I marry? It's driven by the motive of how much money should I, can I make? How important will I look with this job, with that spouse? And I want to tell you that these are, these are bad motives to dictate your life and your, the decisions you're making in this season. And it, it'll potentially lead you astray. In fact, if, you, if you're taking notes, take this down. Here's, how do you know God's will? This is one way you can know God's will for your life. Ask yourself this question. Is the path that I'm on, is the direction I'm heading, is the pursuit that I'm on, does it strictly benefit myself? Or is it a blessing for other people? Because God does not equip us or call us to a calling strictly to serve ourselves. He will always equip you. He has created you to serve and benefit others. And so that's one way to discern decipher if something is the will of God for you. Is it strictly motivated by your own selfishness? Will it only benefit you? Or will it actually bless other people? It's a great way to to determine if it's God's will for your life. Verse 5. It says, And the Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the children of man had built. And the Lord said, Behold, they are one people and they have all one language. And this is only the beginning of what they will do. And nothing that they propose to do will now be impossible for them. Come, let us go down and there confuse their language so that they may not understand one another's speech. So God, He comes, he comes and He sees what's happening, right? And it, it appears that what they're doing is okay. Like, Ingenuity is good. Working together, teamwork, right? It, it seems like it's a good thing, but what God is viewing here is the fact that man's ability to, fill, to fulfill their own wicked desires as they work together was too great. They could, they could fulfill any desires they wanted if they worked together. He saw the potential for evil if one man was able to gain control over the whole population. How easy is it for one wicked man to have con- having control over the world to lead the world away from God? to begin to steer things away from God. The Lord saw this, and He didn't want it to take place. And so He put an end to it. In his, according to His mercy, He stopped it. But the Bible tells us this is exactly what will happen before Christ returns. In fact, this is the, one of the reasons why a lot of Christians, maybe you've, you've known or seen, are so concerned about globalism, the globalist agenda, the one world currency. It's why they're concerned about that. It's why you should probably be concerned about that stuff, because it is not necessarily a good thing. It's something that the enemy has been pushing. As they say, absolute power corrupts absolutely. And God saw the wisdom in dividing people groups and making them sovereign nations of their own. Healthy division amongst mankind so that each, each individual nation could turn and seek God rather than being influenced by uh, an immoral man who had power and ability to mislead them. Now, as I said, this will, this will take place. It's inevitable. It's going to happen. It's already written in the pages of Scripture. And we already see this happening now, right? We see men building their empires. We see these skyscrapers going up in these amazing cities, making a name for themselves, like a big prominent city. What is it without a few amazing skyscrapers? I was in London, and they have some amazing skyscrapers in London. They have this one called, I want to say it's called the walkie-talkie. 
because it looks like a giant walkie-talkie. It's like this big square thing, and it's got like a concaved side to it that the sun was hitting off of these windows and melting cars. It was like magnifying the sun on these cars, and so they had to like put screens on it. They have this giant one called the Gherkin, and it's, it's literally a giant like pickle-shaped building. And then they have the Shard. Now, of course, like New York has their amazing skyline, and LA, and you name it. Dubai now has the tallest building in the world, but we've built our kingdoms. We've built our empires. We've made huge leaps and bounds towards globalism with like cryptocurrencies and other things like that. We are, we are setting ourselves up for a global one-world power, one-world nation. But what we have not seen yet is the entire world being ruled by one king again, one man. We haven't seen that yet. We haven't seen that since the Roman Empire. And what the Bible teaches us is that there will be a revived Roman Empire and the king, the ruler of that empire, will be the Antichrist. It's, it's written. It's going to happen. We as the church are restraining that, resisting that. The work of the Holy Spirit within us is keeping that from taking place. But it says in 2 Thessalonians 2 that the man of lawlessness will be revealed, but not until that which is restraining it is removed. So what's going to happen is that removal, which I believe to be the rapture of the church, will take away the salt and light, will not take away the Holy Spirit as a whole, because people will still get saved during the tribulation period, but will remove the salt and light who are resisting the work of the one world order and, and, and the work of the Antichrist, the work of lawlessness. And, how, and, and when that happens, God will not scatter. God will not forbear. God showed mercy here when He scattered them. In His forbearance, He had every right to judge them, but He says, I'm, I'm working their redemption. How many of these people living in the land of Shinar had descendants that ended up getting saved by Christ? It's just the mercy of God. Right? This rebellious... Uh, it, it, did take, it didn't take long for them to rebel against mankind, for, or against God. Four generations to live in rebellion against God, and God forbear. According to His mercy, He overlooked and chose not to judge them, but when the Antichrist takes His throne, He'll get seven years to rule and reign, and God will not divide, and Jesus will not show mercy. And I want to let that sink in, because what we know today is Jesus, the merciful God, the God who forgives. But one day He will return as the Lion of Judah. And it says that the Antichrist mounts up his army, his, his worldwide army, to battle against Israel, to battle against Jesus himself. And you see this, this tension building, this climax building to this epic battle. And it kind of cracks me up because it's so anticlimactic in the scriptures. As you're reading it, it says, and as they mounted against you know, the Lord to make battle, uh, and then they were captured and thrown into the lake of fire. It's just like, bam. In fact, it says in 2 Thessalonians that Jesus destroys the armies with the brightness of His coming. Like He doesn't even need to draw a physical sword. The brightness of Jesus' glory just destroys these armies. That's the power of the God that we serve. And He will come in glory one day and deal with it. But here He shows mercy. 
He scatters abroad. They multiply and He scattered them. Verse 8. So the Lord dispersed them from, over, from there over the face of all the earth, so they left off building the city. So they might not even, I don't even know how far they got with the Tower of Babel. Maybe they've never found the tower because they only got like two stories high. And God was like, nope, we're going to squash that. Verse 9, therefore its name was called Babel because there the Lord confused the languages of all the earth. Now Babel, the word Babel sounds a lot like the Hebrew word for confused. And from there the Lord dispersed them over the face of all the earth. These are the generations of Shem. When Shem was 100 years old, he fathered Arphaxad 200 years after the flood, and Shem lived after he fathered Arphaxad 500 years and had other sons and daughters. So here we're about to get into Shem's genealogy. I'm going to blitz through these names. But what I want, you, what I want to point out here is, is in verse 10 where it says, these are the generations of Shem. According to the tablet theory, which I've already introduced you guys to, this would be the end section of perhaps Shem's written eyewitness account ending the tablets that Shem would have recorded and passed down through this godly line that we are about to read. And I I simply say that so that you would understand that the Word of God is preserved for us. That all those other nations that have their theories and have these flood stories and these creation stories the Jewish people had the true story preserved for them, for them. Which is why it says in Romans that to the Jews belonged the oracles of God. So these have been preserved through Shem and through this godly line. And I also want to point out something very interesting that's easy to miss. Shem lived 502 years after the flood, which actually would have made him outlive Abraham. He would have been a contemporary of Abraham. And so Abraham could have verified the biblical record from the eyewitness himself who, who witnessed the flood. Pretty amazing. All right, let's blitz through, the, through these fun names here. So our fact said had Shelah, who had Eber, who had Peleg, to Ru, to Sereg, to Nahor. Nahor fathered Terah, which should sound familiar to you because he is the father of Abraham. Father Abraham. And that's where we're going to close it tonight. We're going to go in depth into the life of Sarah and Abraham in the coming weeks. But as I close this out tonight, we see mankind fulfilling their call, multiplying as God commanded them to multiply. So what's the big deal? The big deal is that they did it apart from God. They multiplied apart from God's will. They did it against God, even in rebellion against God. And God's solution was to scatter them. I can't help but see a picture of the American church in this. You know, we're we're commanded as the church to be fruitful and to multiply. And in America, we've supposedly done so in record numbers. Right? You see these mega churches with tens of thousands of people that attend, they meeting in these stadiums. And yet, it seems very few of them have any depth of the knowledge of the Word of God. Very few of these people actually live for Christ day to day. I recently read a survey that said 80% of the U.S. professes faith in some form of Christianity. But yet of those same people, only 6% of them had a biblical worldview. Only 6%. Which meant, as, as orthodox, essential doctrines of Christianity were asked to them, only 6%, 6% could answer them correctly. We, we live in a, a day and age, it's been said, where the church is a mile wide and an inch deep. So many people profess to be Christian, 
but a lot of them don't even know what the gospel is. Let alone, are they saved? And I wonder if we haven't found ourselves now in this state because we've copied the Nimrods of our day. As the church, we've started to function like the Nimrods, building our own empires. We're really, let's build our facilities. And I'm not knocking facilities. Obviously, Calvary Tucson is a big church. We have nice facilities here, and I'm thankful for that, and I believe God is using those. But we need to be very careful that we're not building our empires and our facilities to the neglect of true discipleship, to the neglect of, of reaching the poor. And perhaps that's what's taken place in the American church. Perhaps we've leaned too much on the world's corporate strategies and marketing techniques to fill our seats. And we've strayed away from the Word of God and the true gospel. The message of sin and hell isn't preached a whole lot, guys, in a lot of pulpits, in it, especially in these giant megachurches. Sin and hell and the cross and the blood of Christ, these aren't things that are very popular to talk about. You might actually empty out some of your seats. And that's unfortunately what's taken place is we've neglected this gospel. And the reason I, I feel like God was showing me, not, in, not just, I, I, I include myself in this, this call to repentance in the church, that we would stop looking to methods and techniques to get more people to church, but that we would be faithful to teach and preach the Word of God and to live the Word of God. Because that is the method through which God will multiply disciples. It could be because of the condition of America, God has allowed our nation to be where it's at. Allowed our government to perhaps go in this direction of godlessness in order to scatter the church, in order to hit the reset button and get back to true discipleship. We, have potentially, we are potentially, as a nation, heading in a direction with politicians who would love to take away the tax exemption of churches, which, I don't know if you realize this, would close the doors of hundreds, of, of thousands of churches, really, across America. We could be heading into that direction. And God could be allowing this to happen in order to wake us up and to get us to reset, to get back to doing what we're supposed to do. One more thing I want to talk, talk about is that Nimrod, people follow guys like Nimrod, these dictators, these heads of state. People, people lay down their rights and follow these men and give them all this power because these men promise to meet some felt need that that people group has. That felt need becomes so great in their prioritization that they're willing to lay down their rights. They're, they're willing to forfeit anything else to be ruled by these dictators as long as the dictators meet their needs. Come to me. I have, I have pitch and tar and brick and I will make sure you're safe from that, that mean God in the sky. I will protect you from your felt need. See, something you need to understand, guys, is that people will follow any gospel that meets their felt need. So whatever their immediate need is, they're going to look for the gospel that solves that problem. If you're an alcoholic, you're going to follow the gospel of who's buying me my next drink. Where can I get the next drink? That's the gospel to you. And right now, the world thinks its greatest need, among other needs, is really deliverance from COVID, right? 
And I'm not downplaying, don't misunderstand me, I'm not downplaying COVID. It's a serious thing. People are dying. It's not a conspiracy. However, the, the tragedy of COVID and the outbreak of COVID has revealed really where people think their greatest need is. People think their greatest need is deliverance from dying from COVID. And you see it in the way our culture behaves. You see it in the way we respond to things. And because of this, many people have shut their ears to the gospel of Jesus Christ in order to follow the gospel of medical science, the gospel of the government, the gospel that will meet their felt need right now. They'll put Jesus on the back burner in order to be all in for what will ever deliver them from this COVID crisis that we're in. Again, I'm not saying, I'm not knocking medical science either. I'm so thankful for the advancements of medical science. God uses medical science to, to heal us. But medical science will not save your soul from hell. And what you need to understand, what America needs to understand, is our greatest need is not deliverance from death. It's deliverance from eternal hell. You need your sins forgiven, guys. That is your greatest need. And it could be that people don't know this or care about this or feel this because the church hasn't been preaching this. They've, they're so quick to turn to the government and lay down their rights to have their needs met, not realizing that they need Jesus Christ. They need the forgiveness that Jesus offers us. In fact, well-meaning churches trying to maintain healthy reputations in their communities, which is a good thing, have perhaps unintentionally emphasized this COVID scare narrative, overemphasized that above the gospel of Jesus Christ, so that when people go to your church, or they can't go to your church because you're not open, when people see all of your announcements about COVID, this and that, they walk away feeling more scared of COVID than they do feeling secure in Christ. We need to be very careful as the church how we approach this, how we interact during the season, how we represent Jesus Christ in the gospel. For sure, we don't want to be stupid. We don't want to be these people spitting in our hands and shaking hands and not, not afraid of COVID because COVID is out there. It's a real thing. But God forbid we actually contribute to the fear tactics and the narrative that, that COVID is the worst thing that could happen to you. No, we need forgiveness of sins. There are worse things, guys, than dying. Do you realize that? Jesus said, do not fear that which can take your life, but rather fear him who, after he takes your life, has the power to cast your soul into hell. Jesus said, fear God, because he can not only allow you to die and take your life, he can, you will have to give an account before him for the sins in your life, and he has the power to throw you into eternal hell. Jesus said, fear God. And a lot of people go down this rabbit trail. Well, you know, reverence. It really means a healthy reverence. No, fear. You should be afraid of God. You should allow the fear of God, the fear of judgment, to drive you to Jesus Christ. His perfect love casts out fear. But you be very careful to forsake that fear because it's necessary. If you still sin, you should still fear judgment from God. And you should allow that fear, as I said, to drive you each time to the gospel of Jesus Christ. The day that you stop caring about your sin and, and using grace as a license to sin is the day that you slip from the appreciation of the true gospel of Jesus Christ. 
The fear of God is the beginning of wisdom, and it's what makes the gospel so sweet. And as the church, we need to continue to preach that and share the fear of God. Our greatest need is to be forgiven. And there is no nimrod out there, guys, that can do anything about that. There is no government policy or plan that will save your soul, okay? Jesus Christ is the only one who can save you. So we need to turn from our sins. We need to repent. We need to turn away from things that we are trusting in to meet our other felt needs and turn to Jesus Christ, the one who meets our greatest need. Amen? Let's stand. Let's pray. And Father, we do just recognize our own tendencies to take for granted the grace you give us. Lord, our own tendencies to start to to emphasize other needs beyond reconciliation to you. Lord, even as Christians, those who are already saved, we can put grace on the back burner. We can take it for granted. And we can end up emphasizing other needs. Maybe even good pursuits, but things that will get ahead of our relationship with you and therefore become very unhealthy. And Lord, so we pray that you would give us by the power of the Spirit sensitivity to the ways in which we allow this to take place in our hearts and lives. We pray for your equipping in our lives, that we could represent the gospel to the people around us, Lord, that we could be those who walk in wisdom, yes, regarding the season that we are in, but also walk in boldness about what the gospel of Jesus Christ really is and point people in the direction of reconciliation with you, in the direction of forgiveness of sins, Lord. And we by no means stand here pointing our fingers at other churches, Lord God. Lord, we, re- we want to repent from any contribution that we've had in misrepresenting you, Lord, during this crazy season. And as we move forward into 2021, Lord, we want to represent you well and accurately. We want the gospel to be the chief goal of ours. And we want to represent the gospel in our politics. We want to represent the gospel well in every other area of life. And so we ask for your guidance to do that, Lord God. We ask for your grace, and we thank you for your mercy. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.